Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. There doesn't seem to be no shortage of outrage and anger today. Would you agree? It doesn't matter if you turn on Facebook or Twitter, the TV, uh, whatever you may turn to to read, it seems like there is outrage and anger today. Everyone is looking to be offended. They desire to be offended. They want to express that outrage and anger. Now, we spoke quite a bit about this in our study of 1 Peter. There doesn't seem to be any room for disagreements or differences of opinion. We see this whether it's in politics, cultural, and even religion. Now especially it has become apparent that the Christian way of thinking is no longer acceptable in the public sphere. To live one's life according to the scripture is considered bigotry, prejudice and to speak God's words of the speak the words of God is now considered by many to be hate speech just this past week Senator Diane Feinstein from California shockingly replied to Amy Coney Barrett who's a candidate for the seventh Kirk, for the seventh circuit court of appeals that her Catholic faith was incompatible with being a judge In Jedi-like fashion, she complained that when you read your speeches, speaking of Amy Coney Barrett, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. The dogma lives loudly within you. Now, to me, I think that's something great that you can put on your tombstone. Scripture says that David served God and his generation and slept. I always thought that would be the greatest tombstone until I read this and said, well, Mason, the, the dogma, the Christian faith lives loudly in you. We see this attitude in one news article that reports that in 2014, a Colorado civil rights commissioner compared Jack Phillips, the Christian baker who was sued for declining to make a cake for a same-sex ceremony, He included and compared him to those perpetrators of the Holocaust. Called him a Nazi. Now this shouldn't be surprising. Scripture tells us that the mind mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. It also tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We should not expect the world, we should not expect our politicians, our singers, our movie actors, and so on and so forth, to accept our faith or our lifestyle. That all Christians are demanded to live by God. We are demanded to live this type of lifestyle, but we should not be accepted or be surprised, I should say, when that is rejected by those many times that we're influenced by or that we, we are enamored with. Unfortunately, too many who profess Christ have succumbed to the pressure to conform in their thinking and lifestyle. It is becoming too difficult to stand up and to be counted as a Christ follower and one that takes the word of Christ seriously. 
Too many pastors, churches, and professing Christians have capitulated to the world's way of thinking. We have seen this time and time again. We have forgotten that we are no longer blinded by our former ignorance. We have neglected this wonderful truths that are found in Scripture, and we have abandoned the truths of God in order that we may be accepted by the world. We see that time and time again. Take your Bibles real quickly and turn to Romans chapter 12, a famous portion of Scripture. If you've been in Awana, you probably already have it memorized. Here the Apostle Paul pleads to the Christians of Rome not to give in to the political and social pressure to conform to the Roman way. Paul here does not say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, as that old phrase goes. But instead, in Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, the King James says, I beg you, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, most of us know this verse, but go on to verse 2, which is usually memorized together, but one we don't always consider. For he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. That by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'm afraid to say that too many times those who profess Christ are not doing this. We live in a society that is now calling evil good and good evil. We know this, we see this, and it's being codified in our laws. But we're to discern what is the will of God. What is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. We need a transformed mind to be able to do that. Why? Because our minds and our fallen state from the moment we are born is hostile to God. We are blinded by the God of this world and cannot see the wonderful truths of Scripture. Paul would write to Titus, that through the, it's through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit that you and I have a new purpose and a new way of thinking. In Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission that we understand and know, Jesus, before he ascended to heaven after the resurrection, gave this command to the disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What does Jesus then do with that authority? He says to the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now I want to say, he's not telling them, get them to say the prayer after me or repeat after me. He's saying, make disciples. Let me share with you, soul winning is not done until they're in the pew with you with an open Bible learning the word of God. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father. That's coming into fellowship with other Christians, making that public confession, and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them. This is important. What are we to do with that? We're to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the promise. This fall, speaking of the season, not the fall of man, we're putting an emphasis on discipleship. 
becoming more like Christ in our thinking and in our actions. Many times we think discipleship is about doing things. Give me the rules that we're to do. And, that, and you know what? Many times I've said before, it's easy to do the rules, right? Give me a list of rules that I follow and then I can do them. Tell me what a Christian looks like. Tell me what a Christian watches, what he does, how he does. And so we do that. But what we miss many times is how a Christian thinks. Because until we change our minds and the way that we consider things, we'll never be able to change our behavior. Now, really what we do is many times, and I'm guilty of this, uh, we need, as a parent, I'm guilty of this in ministry, grew up this way many times. What we try to do is we try to modify behavior. If I can just get them to do this, but then what we see is that even though we may be modify behavior, what's missing is we haven't changed their heart. And so let me give you this. Parents, this is a free one. I'm not going to charge you for it. But the goal of parenting is not to modify your children's behavior, but to get to their heart. Let me tell you this. When you discipline your children, you're not punished, but when you discipline your children, discipline is not done until there's a change of heart. Not a change of behavior, but a change of heart. In our penal system, in the prison, we wonder why is there so much recidivism? Why do they continually serve their time, get out, and then go back in? Because you might have modified their behavior with cages and with time schedules and with certain types of punishment, but you haven't changed the heart. So why do we have many people who profess Christ, who said the prayer, who have been baptized, go to church and do things? Why is it that they still think like the world? It's because they haven't truly been regenerated. Their heart has not been renewed. Churches have helped modify them, teach them what a Christian looks like, acts like, talks like, sings like, but it hasn't really changed the heart. So until we change the heart, which is really the way that we think, we're going to find ourselves falling into the cycle of conforming to the world. So this fall, we're putting an emphasis on discipleship. Dustin shared two weeks ago on his message on discipleship that a disciple is a person who truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah and who seeks to obey him in every area of her life. Now you're going to see that's more than just repeating a prayer. This is someone who says, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to seek to follow him. I'm going to take up my cross, deny myself, follow him. A disciple is a person who truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah and seeks to obey him in every area of life. In other words, a disciple is what we today call a Christian, a true believer. Someone who has repented from their dead works and put their faith in Christ and seeks to live a holy life. We see that in 1 Peter, be ye holy as I am holy. He went on to quote uh, Pastor John MacArthur who wrote that disciples are people who believe the gospel, people who have turned from their sin to embrace the forgiveness of God, people who've had a transformed life so that they are motivated to obey what the Lord has commanded them. The term, the term disciple is used synonymously for the believer. And I think this week he, he put something on his, on, his, uh, uh, on his Twitter that he said that justification and sanctification happen together. You cannot be justified without being sanctified. And you cannot be sanctified without being justified. Justification leads to sanctification. Becoming more like Christ. In order to do this, we need a new way of thinking. 
Our minds, though regenerated, needs to be reoriented to the things of God. God has redeemed our hostile minds and he's in the process of changing our worldview. Now, take your attention, if you would, and turn to the monitors. Theologian Andrew Walker defines worldview. Because everyone say, well, I don't know what my worldview is or I don't have a worldview. Well, listen to what he says here. A worldview is a sum of beliefs that we hold at the deepest level of our being, either consciously or self-consciously, about where the ultimate meaning of reality is found. You see, everyone has a worldview. Even little Landon, as he is finding himself crawling to somebody, has a worldview. And that worldview was, I am at the center of the universe. As much as you and I do the same thing. We all have a worldview, whether you're little or whether you're old. It's a fundamental orientation of the heart that, profounds, that provides excuse me, the foundation on which you and I live and move and have our being. So what is your worldview today? Why does it seem like Christianity, those who profess Christ, their worldview many times is the same as the world? Why is the world capitulating to, to uh, uh, no-fault divorce, to same-sex marriage, to transgenderism, and all those things that we seem to fall behind on? Why are these battles we keep having? What was it I read this morning that only, or wait, 20 states are, have, um, the 20 states, the majority have no religious views out of the 50. 20 states, majority surveyed, say they have no religious views. But they do have a worldview. It's shown in our politics. It's shown in our culture. I used to do with this young people when I was in Freeport. I used to be a, a youth leader. And the kids would always want to come and bring me their songs. You know, now, now we're, so we're talking like the, early, or the late 90s and early 2000s, right? Well, 2000. And they would bring me, I think at those times, it's, you know, that's Christiana. Christi I can never say her name. See, you guys know it. Oh, it wasn't my kids, wasn't it, too? Uh, and, and Britney Spears, and it was, the, and it was, the, and it was the, the attack of the boys' bands. It's just an awful time in history. Uh, but they, they would say, well, can you listen to this? Listen to what we're... So I, say, I always said to say, okay, you know, I'm going to listen to your song. I will give you a listening. But the only thing is, is after we listen to your song, you get to ask me, I get to ask you some questions. And foolish as they were, they took the bargain. And so my question is, what is this song telling you? What is it teaching you? I myself have been surprised of shows that I would watch or songs that I used to love in the 80s, and now I'm singing them with my kids, and all of a sudden I listen and I say, oh, wow. I, don't I didn't realize that that song was promoting that type of worldview or that show promotes this worldview. See, everything, not so much agenda, which it is, but it's a worldview. And everyone wants to win the worldview world or, win, or, or agenda. Our worldview comes to surface when you and I make a decision. Something is influencing that decision. Your worldview, your worldview, excuse me, identifies the source of these three questions. They're not on the, on the monitors yet, but if you're taking notes, here's the three things your worldview is trying to answer. It's trying to answer the question of authority. Who has the right to tell me what to do? Now that is a lifelong battle. 
your worldview, if I could sit down with you, listen to what you watch, talk with you, you're, eventually I'm going to get your worldview that answers the question, who is it that listens to you? Who has the right to tell you what to do? It also talks about our knowledge. Who knows what is best for me? Who knows what is best for me? And then trustworthiness, your worldview will tell, tell you or tell me who loves you and wants what is best for me. So your worldview encapsulates those three things, knowledge, authority, and trustworthiness. Typically, people find the answers to those three things with these people, me, myself, and I. Andrew Walker, that theologian that we talked about earlier, notes that probably the biggest thing worldview that is now in the, the center, the greatest rights in this world right now, as we talk about rights of the freedom of the press, the rights of religion, probably the greatest um, right right now that is ruling the world is that of sexual revolution, your sex. He says this, postmodern individualism agrees with this. The sexual revolution tells me that the highest goal is self-fulfillment. And we see that in our entertainment. We see that in our lives. And it may not find itself in sex, but it finds itself in physical pursuits, pleasure experiments. Self-fulfillment is the greatest goal of everyone. And it's achieved through following my feelings and relativism makes it possible for me to pursue these goals without anyone being allowed to say, no, that's wrong. Have you ever tried to tell anybody that anymore? Everything's relative. Hey, if it's good for me and if I enjoy it, then it's good and it's right. If this is how I'm going to fulfill myself, and it's all about me fulfilling my own self. Instead, me, myself, and I, we should be going to the scriptures. Paul tells the elders at Ephesus in our scripture reading from earlier. He says, I testify to this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you what the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God is where you and I should find our authority, our knowledge, and put our trust in. That's why we've taken time over these past years to teach you both, teach you both biblical theology and systematic theology. Those are two words that for most people have already put you into a deep sleep coma when you hear them. However, both are very important for the Christian to understand. When you think of biblical theology, we mean a theology, a study of God that tries to understand not only what the Bible teaches, but to do so in the context of the Bible's own progressively revealed and progressively developed storyline. Faithful biblical theology attempts to demonstrate what systematic theology assumes. That the scriptures are not some eclectic, chaotic, and seemingly contradicting collection of religious writings consisting of 66 books. But rather, it's a single story. A unified narrative that conveys a coherent and consistent message. Biblical theology is concerned not just with the morals of the story. And unfortunately, for many years, that's what we have taught. I'm so thankful for Nicole, who, is, who has taken our vision of, of making Sunday school for the kids, not about moral stories, 
In other words, David and Goliath is not about facing the giants or picking up five stones of faith, but understanding what it is that this really is telling us about. It's telling a story and how the very nature of its telling is unfolding. It, it shapes our understanding. It gives us that hope that even to endure suffering is because Christ is coming. Systematic theology seeks to arrange the whole of the biblical teachings into a logical topical division. It helps us understand what the Bible says uh, entirely or wholly about a subject. This then allows for formulation of what we like to call doctrine, which most of us don't like to study. And it helps us construct an overall view of the nature of God as he's revealed himself and the manner in which he interacts with us, which is so important. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gave Moses this instruction to the children of Israel. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, in your thinking, in your mind. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. For you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your house and your gates. What he's saying is, is everything that your hand does shall show that you are following God's commands. The blinders that tell you how to focus your life. And when he's speaking about doorposts of your house, it says those who come to your house should know that you belong to the Lord. As Joshua would say, as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. These were to permeate their mind with God's word, the commands of God. Now, though this was given to the Hebrew children thousands of years ago, it is still apropos for us today. We are to learn, to teach, to meditate, and hide God's word in our hearts. Now, let me share with you, so please listen. To fail to do so is to fall to the enemy. We see this in our first parents, Adam and Eve. Shortly after creation, they forgot and neglected God's word in such a short time. And they gave in to the temptation of Satan, plunging the whole human race into sin and the curse of death. Unfortunately, you and I have made the same mistakes. We have neglected to allow God's word to reshape our thinking. We have forgotten God's commands and we have failed to teach our children and to make disciples of those that we love and those in our influence, sphere of influence. Is it any wonder that our churches are failing and becoming like the world? Paul warns the church of Rome that I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own appetites. Again, self-fulfillment. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Why? They're naive because they do not remember or understand the doctrines of God. For your obedience, he goes on to write, is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And do you recognize that in a world that is hostile to our faith, that calls evil good and good evil? The world has tipped 
upside down. And you and I are to understand that and be aware of that. Doctrine is important. Hiding God's word in our hearts is important. Every believer is responsible to understand and teach biblical doctrine. It's not just for the pastors and teachers, but for all Christians. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. In the New Testament, in chapter 4, look at verse 11. In this passage, Paul declares God's plan, his guide, his agenda for his bride, the church, those he had died for. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. And God gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not that the, that the ministers do the work, but that the body may do the work for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's his desire for each and every one of you. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In 1 Timothy, Paul will write to Timothy, Be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine that you have followed. Now I'm thinking, thankful that many of you have learned this from when you're young. Many may not have. But we're all responsible to learn the whole counsel of God and to put it into action. Allow that to, to permeate our thinking as we make our choices. Our worldview now is that of Christ, conforming to the words of Christ, that we may discern what is good and perfect will of God. Now for us today, because I want to bring it to what this means for you and I. And this is what I want to share. As elders... Landon, Randy, and I, our desire is for each one of you to become a lifelong seeker of the kingdom of God. That's our vision for our church. No matter who you are, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you've been a Christian for years, or whether you do not yet know Christ, our desire for you is what scripture says, to be a lifelong seeker of the kingdom of God. To do that, you and I need the word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the tools to reshape our minds, to change our worldview. We need to understand that God is our authority. Who has the right to tell us what to do? The one who created us. The one who designed us as we saw this one. The one who has a purpose for our lives. When it comes to our knowledge, we must understand that our knowledge comes from the word of God. It's not our own foolishness or our own. Or our own. He says, professing themselves to be wise, they shown themselves to be what? Fools, those of the world. In other words, who knows what is best for me to do? Why well, would share with you the word of God? But unfortunately, too many people have taken the word of God and tossed it. Or they start cutting out the things they do not like. And also, you and I need to understand that we need to accept the trustworthiness of the Trinity. That remember, trustworthiness answered the question, who loves me and wants what is best for me? I would share with you that it's the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. So what informs your worldview? What's your authority? What's your knowledge? Where do you go for trustworthiness? It must be from God. That is why this fall we're going to be inviting you and challenging you to join us as we study and learn what we would call a catechism. Now when you hear the word catechism, many people will probably get those cat claws out. 
either because you came from a Catholic background or you don't understand what the word catechism is. A catechism is something that's been used throughout the history of the church. They've used it as a collection of questions and answers designed for memorization and recitation to teach the core doctrines of the faith. And so I'm speaking mainly, obviously, to our members and our regular attenders. Our desire is to teach you the whole counsel of God. When we preach, we typically do not do thematic or topical messages that I'm doing here, though there are uses for it, as we see. But we typically teach through a whole book of the Bible. Why? Because it's important for you to know all that God says and how it works throughout systematic theology and biblical theology. So I want to answer some questions for those of you who say, what is the catechism? Or all of a sudden, it just throws up a barrier. I wanted to answer some things. What is the importance of a catechism? And you can follow these on the monitor if you like, if you're taking notes. Well, the first one, it helps us give a helpful summary of the core beliefs of our faith. If you were sitting down with someone and they were saying, give me a summary of what you believe, what would you be able to tell them? Would you be able to just tell them just a list of rules? Well, my hair has to be this short. Uh, I have to listen to this stuff, and I can't do this, or I can't do... Would you just give them a list of rules of do's and don'ts? Unfortunately, to many people, that's what they think the Bible is about. They think nothing but Christians is nothing about a bunch of do's and don'ts. I remember one young man when I was, um, again, back in Freeport, I, and I had trouble with this young man, and he just we just we butted heads on every account. And finally, I said to him, listen, <coughs> you have heard the gospel presentation many times from me from others we have shared with you what is it why won't you accept Christ you know what his answer came down to sadly well I just want to live my life the way I want to I don't want to have to live by a bunch of rules and regulations somehow and I understand it at the time the gospel to him was rules and regulations do a list of do's and don'ts it wasn't about the life-transforming power of the gospel, of the Spirit. Oh, I wish I could go back and have those times again. I wish I could speak to him again. I'll probably never see him again. Don't know if he ever accepted Christ. I doubt it. His heart was pretty hardened. And unfortunately, many times, Satan has used the way that we presented the Word of God as a barrier. But what is the summary? Could you share with me what the core beliefs of the faith is? Before you and I can live a gospel-shaped, Christ-exalting life, you and I must have a firm grip on the gospel. And what we do is when we look at doctrine, it introduces, it introduces us to the Holy Trinity, to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It tells us of the Father and of creation, the fall of man and the law of God and its purpose. It informs us of Christ's work in redemption and the grace of God. It encourages us with the work of the Spirit in restoration and growing in grace. Not only does it give us a summary of the core beliefs of our faith, of truly who God is and who we are and our need for God, but number two, it rightly views salvation as a past and present and future event. Too many times we can think of salvation as something only we did in the past. I said a prayer, I did this. I remember, you know, I accepted Christ 1972 down in the basement of North Love with Mrs. Erickson as my junior church teacher. But then I also got saved in 1975 at a revival with, uh, oh, Reeser in the, what, was, what you guys would know as now the nursery. That was the auditorium at that time. 
And then I think I did it in 1980 also, uh, just to make sure. I've been baptized twice, because you always have to make sure that you're baptized twice. If, you know, so those types of things. But you know, salvation is more than just a date in your Bible. And again, let me give this to you parents. If your child does accept Christ, praise God. But do not, when they get older and they start to doubt that salvation, do not point them back to what you wrote in your Bible. Because that's not assurance of faith. Assurance of faith comes from the Holy Spirit, not some certificate that's given to you. Boy, I wish we did get some type of thing that just appeared, some type of scroll that said, oh, Rob Currington got saved, and that's my assurance. You know, like Christian and Christian, uh, uh, or Pilgrim's Progress, he gets that scroll. Oh, wouldn't it be great to have that? No longer to have that doubt, but never point to a moment, but realize that salvation is something that God has done, is doing, and will be completed. When we think we were children, teens, or young adults, that's when we think we got saved. Or we just think about salvation as something that was accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago without thought how Scripture speaks of our salvation in the present and future tense. In 1 Peter, we read of the wonderful truths of salvation, both past, present, and future. Peter spoke of our election before creation, the power of salvation to help us endure suffering for today, and then the glorious truths that are inheritance and final salvation from the presence of sin that awaits the glorious appearing of Christ. We've said this many times. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved today from the from the power of sin, and in the future we'll be saved from the presence of sin. Amen? And that's the one I cannot wait for. That's the Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. This salvation should permeate our thinking, drawing us to God, strengthening our resolve to fight sin and bring hope during challenging times. This type of thinking is helped by a catechism that continually points out the wonderful truths of the gospel. Number three, it calls for a whole life discipleship. Not just a list of rules and regulations that you follow, but a real whole life that, that comes from the thinking down. A thorough doctrine of God's word will inform us on how to think and live in a world that's hostile to our faith. Scripture warns us to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and every thought captive to obey Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. Again, a very for, uh, familiar passage of Scripture. In this passage, Paul encourages the, the church of Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 10, verse, uh, 6, verse 10, he says, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He goes on to tell us, he reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Again, remember, your, your battle is not against your spouse, your spouse or against your boyfriend, girlfriend, or against your parents. It's not against political or cultural things, but it's against rulers, authorities, and the cosmic powers. It's against darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, in verse 13, he says, you and I must take the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand. With our belt of truth in verse 14, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, shoes, putting on the readiness of the gospel of peace, and then the shield of faith in all circumstances so we can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. 
This means to know and understand the word of God that you and I may be able to stand firm. We have to understand that it's about the whole life. And number four, it gives us appreciation for those who have served faithfully before us. And this is a neglected one. We seem to think that it's our generation that must reinterpret scripture every year or every generation. And that's not true. That has gotten us to this point. We forget those that have gone before us. It helps us to remember that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We are reminded that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, as Peter, Peter writes. And that Paul says we are to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. This faith has been passed down from generation to generation with each one confirming the other. Unfortunately, each generation believes that it's their job, as I said, to reinterpret Scripture to fit their time and their culture. But that is foolishness, and it leads to the very error that Scripture warns again, against. Paul warned Timothy that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. A catechism, a doctrine, helps us to guard the good deposit that's entrusted to us over the centuries. The one that we used has been used for years, hundreds of years, and has stood the test of time. Then fifthly, and lastly, it reminds us that we are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. King Solomon, after spending a lifetime in pursuit of happiness and pleasure, finally came to the conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that the end of the matter has been heard. All that God has done, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Understand that all that God's word has to say helps keep this, this in mind. It reminds us not to love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, John says, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That comes when you and I have a worldview that is godly, that is able to discern the perfect, good, acceptable will of God. And so we as elders, we want to encourage you to do that. And in order to do that, we want to give you some tools this morning to help you do that. And we're going to be challenge you to, to learn this and to understand it. And this fall, we're going to be meeting at your homes, visiting you and encouraging you. We will do it during our services. We will do it in our small groups, as well as in our, in our personal invitations with you. I'm going to ask the guys just to turn to, to the next slide. To share with you, at the end, we're going to give each family what's called the New City Catechism. Many of you know of a catechism. But what it does, it takes 52 questions. And what it's doing is taking the Word of God and saying, here is the core beliefs. This is what should shape your thinking. These are the words that should encourage you. These are the things that you need to share with others. The first question will come and say, what is our only hope? in life and death. It's very put out very nicely. And then we'll have an answer. The answer, as we see here, is that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God 
and to our Savior Jesus Christ, already reorienting what our knowledge is, who our authority is, and who we should trust. There's a verse there that goes with it, it shares with you, Romans 14, 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Let me share with you, if we could just take that and give that to your heart, you'll see God do a miraculous work in your life. As he's not just changing your behavior, but he's changing your heart, making us into the image of God. So we just challenge you each week, we're going to take one of these questions. You can go off that, gentlemen. Is we're going to tackle each of these questions each week for the next year. And we're going to challenge you to learn it. There's a, there, there, there's a section in which you have the question. The answer is given both in a full way and then also for a way for younger people. So you can just do, memorize just a core part of that as well as the verse. And I would encourage and challenge you. Would you join with us as we desire to have the whole counsel of God permeate our minds and hearts that you and I may glorify God as we are becoming more like him not only in our way of acting, but in our way of thinking and living. With every head bowed and every head closed, I pray that you would join me in doing that as the team comes up. For many of you, I know the issue may be coming just understanding the word catechism or having something that is more, what's the word, more organized. But I encourage you, you're going to be learning some great truths and learning some verses and scripture to hide in your heart. It's important for us as Christians to love God with all our heart, with all our soul and our might, and continue as Moses called us to do, to share that with our own, not only our families, but with our friends. I pray that you would join us in this. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for those that have come before us, and I thank you for good men and women who have put things together to help us to, to, to embrace your words and your truth. Father, I admit there are many times that I have not thought and lived out your word. That, that battle between authority and knowledge and trustworthiness, between you and between what I want for my own self-fulfillment continues to this day. But Father, we confess that as a, as a people this morning. That battle still rages. Would you strengthen us? We thank you for your word. We thank you for your tools. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just make us sufficient for such a task to hide your word in our hearts that we may glorify you. We praise in the name of Christ. And God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.